from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 313 with guest Aiden Finn. Recorded Tuesday, March 26th, 2013. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today is Aiden Finn, and he's the technical sales lead at Micro Warehouse, a Microsoft value-added distributor in Dublin, Ireland. And he works with Microsoft partners in the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, evangelizing Microsoft products such as Windows Server, Hyper-V, Windows Client Operating System, System Center, and Cloud Computing. He's a Microsoft MVP and in the Hyper-V expertise since 2009, which is when Hyper-V got good, too. Blogs at AidenFinn.com and tweets as Joe underscore Elway, which I think the last time you were on the show, we got into that whole story. We did. We did indeed. Sounds like an American football player, but it's not. It's two of them. <laughs> so what have you been working on? Um, so I've been working on a book, actually. Wow. Um, yeah, we just, um, four of us, uh, myself, Patrick Lowndes, who worked with me on the last Hyper-V book and the Private Cloud book, Damien Flynn, who worked with me on the last Private Cloud book, and a newbie, uh, Michelle Lucher, uh, who works for Microsoft Consulting Services in Switzerland. We just uh, released, and it's a long one, Windows Server 2012 Hyper-V Installation and Configuration Guide. Nice. Should be good for the search engine optimization. Yeah, <laughs> it's very specific. But about yep. really getting off the dime with what's in 2012's Hyper-V. Yep. Um, it's 600 pages of level 400 and lots of PowerShell. Wow. That's serious business. Well, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, uh, 2012 Hyper-V to me really reflects the fact that a lot of knowledge is coming down from Azure and showing up in Windows Server and that you're making private cloud more and more real as well. Absolutely. And there's a lot of things that they did in Azure and a lot of le lessons that they learned from Azure and they've applied them not just to Windows Server 2012 but also to System Center 2012 Service Pack 1 to give us what marketing are calling the cloud operating system. Well, and, I, and I'm all good with that. I'm a big fan of System Center. Um, it, it does get a little pricey but it makes you optimize more and more. But in the end, the key pieces to really being cloud is not only just virtualization, but lots of automation and monitoring around what you're doing in that virtualization. Yep, um, that's definitely true. And Operations Manager gives you all that monitoring. And I know there's been a numerous uh, run-as radio episodes on Operations Manager. And Orchestrator gives you a lot of that. And, well, even if you can't do System Center... Maybe if you're not big enough for System Center or maybe you've gone a different direction, you've got PowerShell. And I never did PowerShell before March of last year, and I've fallen in love with it. Yeah, it is very addictive, isn't it? Yeah, when you can see how much you can do in like, you know, 20 lines of code, it's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's awesome stuff. I hope that Microsoft does another System Center Essentials 
for 2012 SP1 because I, I think it's a good way to get more people into seeing the value of System Center. And for our smaller operations, here's a basic tool suite that has the things we need. Yeah, um, you're not alone in, with that wish, unfortunately. <laughs> we'll keep um, hoping. A lot of my customers uh, would have the uh, same desire. Yeah. And, you know, there's money to be made there, guys. It's not just about the large enterprises. You know, help the SMB guys out and help us get started. Get us hooked. Yep. You know, there's it. a lot of SMBs out there who can't or don't want to go into the public cloud or hosted private cloud. They need to keep things local for whatever reason. And they want some of that systems management that they got from VMM Workgroup and System Center Essentials in the past. Yeah. Yeah, well, I I know it's it's a tricky time for the system center team too, and uh, that that this problem may not be the highest priority, but hopefully we can make it a priority and have it show up. So, we we are chatting. You talked about uh, client side Hyper V, and I just sort of stopped and said, "Well, what does that really mean?" So, Windows eight has introduced new features for Hyper V as well. Yeah, um, I remember actually back. At TechEd 2008, I think it was, maybe 2009, and a few of us were talking, and it was myself and Mark Manassi and a few other people, and we were all saying how great it would be if Hyper-V came to the Windows client OS, because we didn't want to use VMware Workstation, especially if we were standing on a Microsoft stage. Right. Um, it didn't look so good. And... We were using server Hyper-V on our laptops. Which isn't fun either. <clears throat> no. Um, we had a lot of messing to do with um, wireless networking and trying to bridge that into the virtual network. Yep. Then you'd have that accidental occasion where you'd close the lid on your laptop, stick it into your laptop bag, take out your laptop three hours later. Well, your very hot laptop Very bag, hot laptop. And your very dead battery in your laptop. <laughs> and so that wasn't good if you had another presentation to do and there was no power nearby. Right. Um, so that wasn't fun. And it, it meant you had to have two working environments realistically on your machine. You had your demo environment and then you also had to have a dual boot into your Windows 7 or your Windows Vista back in the day. Yeah, your, your place to live from. And I, I was looking at Windows to go for a while and saying, should I push the envelope on the licensing here and start running this myself where all of my different environments are now high-speed USB keys and I'll just boot my laptop into that? Hmm. Well, we gave the, the feedback to Microsoft and they gave us Windows 8 Client Hyper-V. Hmm. And that's the official name of it. Um. A lot of people have been calling it various different names, but it's called Windows 8 Client Hyper-V. It's the same Hyper-V that's in the server, just it's got a few extra features, and it's missing some features. Okay. But it's the same Hyper-V, it's the same architecture. So I can pick up a VHD running on my server and drop it onto a client and use it? Absolutely. All right, there's the magic. If you want, you can take the files, including the XML files of the virtual machine, bring them over to your Windows 8 machine, maybe you export them, maybe you import them, or maybe you just grab the files of powered off virtual machine, put them onto a USB stick, copy them onto your Windows 8 machine, and do an import slash register. Nice. So you haven't exported from the Hyper-V server, you just copied the files. 
and you can just register the machine in place on your local hard disk or on your USB storage or ESATA storage or whatever. Right. So where I'm, when I'm working from home, I have my big hardware here that I can run the Hyper-V instances on, and then when I go on the road, just take it with me. Yep. And I use it all the time as a consultant, well, in a consultant-type role, mm-hmm. and doing demonstrations and delivering training. I'll actually use, and I actually use a fairly powerful beast of a laptop where I can run a lot of system center stuff on that machine. It takes a lot of machine in virtualization to run system center configurations because you end up with four or five VMs that are needed to make this thing work. Yeah, and then there's the VMs that you're managing Mm -hmm. as well. So there's quite a bit that you're running on there. And, you know, we've got some nice things in Hyper-V to help us with that. So we've got dynamic memory. So we can make better use of the RAM that's in our physical machine and our laptop or our PC. Um, we have the ability to use different types of storage as well. And um, so the virtual hard disks don't have to be the fixed size. Right. If you're talking about a demo environment or a test lab, you can start using those dynamic VHDs. Or maybe you even use differential virtual hard disks where you've got one golden image. Yep. And then all the virtual machines are basically linked that golden image and only stored our differences. Well, now you get back to what I first used virtualization for back in the wee early days, which was testing different client configurations for like installing software where I wanted a golden image and then I would, okay, let's try installing the software and it goes wrong. And so then we go roll back to that golden image and go again and go again and go again until you got it right. And you Mm -hmm. got that process down pat and then you could actually roll it out to everyone else. And back in the day when we were using VMware Workstation, we were probably using snapshots. Right. And one of the nice new features we got with this generation of Hyper-V is that snapshots now have live merging. Nice. So we don't have to shut down our virtual machine to merge the differences since the last snapshot. It just happens automatically while the virtual machine is running. So that AVHD is merged. And I see that as really important when we're dealing with sort of production things and, and server-side stuff, but it, it doesn't seem as, as important to the client. It's a nice to have yep. that I can keep going, but uh, it, it is good that it's there. It just doesn't seem essential. And this is not, we're not just talking about folks that, that do presentations, right? Is this good lab gear too? There's a lot of scenarios. I was actually thinking about this earlier this morning, mm-hmm. and I just came up with so many different use cases where this could be useful to people. Um, so, um, one of the, the driving things I, I think that Microsoft was thinking about when they did this, because you know, there was a good bit of work to make this happen. Um, this was something that cost Microsoft time and money to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And it's not like they're going to be able to turn this into revenue from System Center. But one of the things I think they thought about was that if Hyper-V was available to administrators or consultants more readily, or yep. developers and testers and DevOps, if it was something that now, they turn on a feature in their Windows 8 machine, and then a couple of reboots later, they have Hyper-V up and running. Hyper-V is more accessible. Mm-hmm. It's easier to learn. It's something that they become familiar with. And then the server product won't seem so alien. Sure. Yeah, you want that ubiquity. That it's just It's something that's always around. Everybody's always used it. It's just not a big deal. It's there. Yeah, that's true. And it's the same Hyper-V as on the server. So if you are in DevOps, if you're testing, if you're developing, maybe you can have a virtual machine that you're running on servers that's been backed up, or maybe you take a copy of it when you're traveling, Mm -hmm. and you can continue to work. 
So it's there for the testers. It's there for the developers as well. Um, it's not a core reason for this to exist, but you could also use it for application compatibility. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was certainly, I was rattling that around. Even just apps that prefer or that you prefer to have live in isolation. The idea that we could run VMs for each of them if necessary. Yes. So you could still have applications. There are a lot of businesses out there that still have applications that require IE6. <sighs> and it's unfortunate. It's painful. But it's, it's just, it's the case. It, um, I've certainly encountered, you know, factories that would have systems that drive their business that are based on IE6. Yeah. Well, and the idea that you could use SCVMM to pick up an old XP instance and pop it into a VHD, and now it'll run on all the new machines with IE6. Yeah, makes me sad. Although, I mean, now we run into things like the devices. Does USB work in client Hyper-V? It does not. Dun, dun, dun. There's a way around that. So... One of the things I see people complaining about is they're opening up Hyper-V Manager on their Windows 8 machine and they're using the Connect to log in and use their virtual machine. That's not the most optimal way to actually use that virtual machine. Right. most optimal way to use it is actually to RDP into the virtual machine. Hmm. And one of the things that we can do with Hyper-V is we can use USB redirection through RemoteFX. Okay. So we can pop in that USB device into our physical PC or laptop yeah. or tablet and then RDP into the virtual machine and get nice performance, get good graphics, and be able to use our USB device. Right, so RDP bring, builds the bridge to your USB key. Yes, and there's another benefit to RDP, which is it supports dual monitors. Right. Yeah. So if you do have lots of monitors and you want to use them, this will give you a better experience. Even if that ends up being two different VHDs, essentially, that you're looking at. Uh, possibly, yeah. <laughs> um, another use case is um, administrators, domain administrators, mm -hmm. who want to have a secure domain admin environment, but also want to be able to work, you know, just do normal internet and email type stuff. We've always been told to have two different user accounts. Right. So that's difficult to do unless you've got two different machines. Yeah. If you have a virtual machine and do all your domain admin work in that, and just doing your normal office stuff on your physical machine. As a domain user. Yeah. That solves that problem. Well, and, and now it's like that VHD, even if it's running all the time, it's, it's in isolation, and you can lock it down all to death. You could basically make it unable to surf. Like, you, you don't need any of that. You just, when I'm running in, in uh, admin privileges, it's from this very tightly locked down VHD. I think that's one of the reasons we're starting to see this idea of apps in isolation running in multiple virtual machines, too. It's just the security constraints, the ability to lock down in detail. Yeah, and that was one of the other things I was thinking about was for that security officer or that person who's investigating security issues, maybe they uh, want to test some websites. Right. Do it in a virtual machine that's, you know, isolated from the rest of the environment. Yeah, that's not in the domain, that has no privileges on the network at all. Yeah, you could take real risks with that. And heck, you know, if you're really serious about security, you're trying to get an environment poisoned so that you can analyze it. Yeah. So to be able um, to do that in a way, you know, now, you know, call that VM Petri dish. 
<laughs> it's your honey pot. Yeah. And so you've now got it all infected and you can go in and explore it. I mean, and this also opens the door to this idea that I can explore VHDs that aren't running. Mm-hmm. So, they, they, you know, now the virus is basically frozen in stasis in that Petri dish and we can go in and, and check it out in detail. Well, you can mount a VHD or a VHDX file in Windows 8. Right. Um, so you have that Petri dish that's frozen. You can go in and start inspecting and scanning um, the contents of that VHD. Right. Um, so there's a lot of interesting situations there. And, of course, you can use your snapshot. So if something does go wrong with that virtual machine, you just roll back the snapshot and you're back to that clean virtual machine all over again. Yeah. And, and, or you've got it at the infected state. And now you're trying different practices for cleanup and, and can make sure you've got it to a completely clean state. If you're not happy with that, go back, try it again. Really mm-hmm. an, an interesting uh, set of test tools for these uh, challenging cases. Yeah, it, which also makes it perfect for the consultant where we started off. Yeah. Training classes. Mm-hmm. You've got a room full of PCs and you want to be able to reset them every day. Yeah, dirt simple to do that. Easy. <clears throat> yep. And for administrators who want to test an upgrade of an application, take a copy of the virtual machine or restore it from backup or something. Yeah. Put the files onto your uh, PC, test that upgrade in your comfort of your own desk or cubicle or maybe you're working from home. Test that upgrade and everything goes well. Have it documented and then apply it in the real world. Nice. I could see this, and you know, thinking DevOps and automation. The, I, do I still have all the PowerShell control over the client Hyper-V? You do indeed. So I can write scripts to fire up MDT, pull an image of a reference machine, or maybe it's one of several, build it as a VHD, and, and then try the new installer upgrade and see how it behaves, and then try the next one and the next one and the next one. Yep. It's, it's a fantastic solution to be able to have on your laptop, your tablet, your PC. Uh, I have it enabled on my PC at work. I have it on my uh, demo laptop. Um, I have it on a tablet as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just fantastic to be able to have that portable environment and be able to work without damaging that machine that you do all your normal office work on. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate that. I guess the other question is, is lightweight enough to run on some of these? You know, what kind of hardware do I need to be able to run uh, Hyper-V instance on? So it starts off with the operating system. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be running a 64-bit edition. So that requires a 64-bit processor. Of course. I, not um, that I think you can buy anything else these days, really. That's true. Um, but you may still have some 32-bit stuff knocking around. Yep. Um, but it has to be Windows 8 Professional or Enterprise Edition. Okay. But it's nice that it's only Pro. I was afraid you were going to say Enterprise or uh, nothing. Well, there's there are some reasons to run Enterprise, but we can come back to that later. Sure. In the BIOS, you're going to have to turn on two things. You're going to have to turn on uh, CPU-assisted virtualization if it's not turned on. Right. And you need to turn on what Microsoft calls data execution prevention or the no-execute bit. Interesting. And that's a security feature that stops buffer overflow in the lower levels of the hypervisor. And i got to bet that that's not on by default. Well, some BIOSes don't even reveal that feature, unfortunately. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, so you do have to watch out for that. And it's been a while since I've encountered a machine that was like that. Most of, just about every business class machine I've encountered has that feature and can turn that feature you on. Turn it on. And we're not just talking about UFI boards, but older boards should be able to do this as well. Is it easy to find out? Like, is a in the process of uh, of turning on client hyper is it going to say these things aren't right? Um, 
Yeah, it'll tell you that there's a compatibility problem. Okay. So when you see compatibility problems, it's probably those settings. Yeah. And if the settings get turned off, your hypervisor will fail to load. Right. And your operating system on your physical machine will still run. So it's the, the management OS using Hyper-V's architecture terminology. Okay. That will still continue to run, but it will tell you that the virtual machine management services failed to start and your hypervisor has failed to start. You won't be able to run any virtual machines until you turn those features back on and reboot the machine. And I presume this doesn't install by default with Win8 Pro. You have to go get it. Um, if you want to turn on Hyper-V, you can go into Control Panel, Add Features, and one of the features is Hyper-V. Okay, so it is just part of the suite. You just have to add those features. Not installed by default is the only thing. Correct. And then there's one other hardware requirement. And so everything we have said so far actually applies to the server as well. But there's one additional requirement that the server does not have. It's recommended for the server for performance reasons. Mm -hmm. And you'll find this feature in server processors since the X5500 or Nehalem. And that's a feature called second-level address translation. Hmm. Um, it's also known by uh, in Intel processors as extended paging tables, or EPT. Right. And AMD calls it nested paging tables, or ORVI. And this feature improves the handling of memory and improves the performance of your, your management OS or your physical machine. And so it's a requirement from Microsoft to make sure you don't get a service degradation on your laptop or your PC. Okay, you got to turn EPT on. Yeah. So basically, if you have a Core i processor, yep. you probably have these features. Right. If you've got a dual core processor, you probably don't. Oh, it's time to move up. Yeah. And and Atom need not apply. Oh, absolutely, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I've, I've a lovely uh, Samsung, Samsung tablet. I'd love to try that on. Um, yeah. But uh, I don't think that the storage would handle virtual machines anyway, but um, it would have been nice to try. Yeah, that would be cool, but I, I could see there's a reasonable limit. Now, what about the licensing rules? What, what's the deal here? So basically, the for server licensing, the same rules apply as in the server. Okay. And so the virtual machines have to have some sort of license. And so if you want to install server in them, if you're developing, you probably have MSDN licensing, you're yep. good. If you're an IT pro and you're evaluating software, TechNet is good for that, but it's not for production or long-term retention. Yeah. It's all about the testing. That deployment is a different set of rules. Absolutely. Um, and of course, you can always get you know the VHDs from Microsoft and download those. Yep. And basically, attach them to virtual machines, and away you go. You've got your 180-day trial of Windows Server or System Center or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but if you want to install the desktop or the client operating system, that also requires some licensing. So you don't just get automatic rights. Unless, well, with one exception. So if I install Windows 8 Pro on my PC and I enable Hyper-V, right. I can't just go, well, let's install Windows 8 Pro in a whole load of virtual machines. I don't have a right to do that. I have to buy those licenses. Right. However, if I have bought Windows 8 Pro and attached software assurance so I get the upgrade rights, mm -hmm. there's a whole slew of other rights I get with software assurance. And one of them is virtualization rights, which entitle me to install Windows 8 Enterprise up to four times in virtual machines on that PC. Wow. 
So you need a license of enterprise for that machine, and then that yeah. lets you run it four additional instances. Yes. Okay. So if you are licensing with software assurance, you're getting a lot of licensing there. Yeah. Um, as well as all the other perks like VDA licensing for VDI and, you know, um, and that also extends if you've got a Windows RT companion device and things like that. Yes. So there's a lot of other things in that enterprise license. Yeah, it, it, it adds up to a lot. I mean, not that an individual can just run off and buy software assurance. This is a part about your organization making a fairly significant commitment. It is, and there's a cost to it. Sure. Um, and it's a strategy. Um, it's not something that you just go, oh, let's do this. Mm -hmm. If you've got an enterprise agreement, you've probably got software assurance. Yeah. If you're in the open licensing space, if you've got OVS licensing for your uh, Windows 8 devices or your PCs, you've got software assurance. Mm -hmm. so you can take advantage of these rights. Sure. It's good, but it is something that has to be looked into, and it's not, you know... You could do a lot in the testing space with the TechNet and... and uh, MSDN, it's when you want to start deploying this to regular users that you have to be more careful about what's right, what's wrong. You don't want to run afoul of the software assurance folks. It's it's not a happy day. Definitely not. And if you are a student or if you are an admin and you want to start looking at Server 2012, if you want to look at System Center or some of the other products from Microsoft, you know, they do make those VHDs downloadable. Right. So you can just download them, create a virtual machine, attach those virtual hard disks. And in the case of server, I think it's 180 days of a trial. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty long trial. Yeah, it's a good trial. And it is nice to just get past all the installation and so forth. And more relevantly, the cleanup afterwards. If you don't end up going ahead or you, you know, you're ultimately your deployment's going to look differently taking all these trial versions off is a real nuisance. It's great to have them in VHD so that you can just shut them down. Yeah, you just shut down the virtual machine, delete it. And basically, you've not made a, a commitment in, in terms of infrastructure or cost. Yeah, it's like it's never happened. Yeah. <laughs> it's just disappeared. Wipe your hands and walk away. So, Aiden, at the beginning, you said there were some differences between the client and the server editions. I guess we better run those down. Yeah. Um, so... Um, first thing is, this is not intended to be a replacement for the server. No, right. that's um, fair. Yeah, so I hope people aren't going to think, you know, I'm going to fill a rack full of PCs and put Windows 8 Pro in these and use them as a Hyper-V farm. Right. Um, it's definitely not intended for that. Don't do it. <laughs> um, it does not have live migration. Ah, okay, fair, totally fair. And I felt the same way when you were talking about the live snapshot application. Like, yeah, okay, that's something I definitely need on a server, but on a client, it's kind of, yeah, not as important. But it does have live storage migration. Oh, interesting. So I can move the VM from one uh, storage device to another while running. Yes. Interesting. So maybe your virtual machine is on your spinning hard disk and it's a bit slow. Yeah. You want to put it on your SSD. Mm-hmm. You can do that without shutting it down. Yep. Or you're using SMB3 and got a honk and fast connection back to a server somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, all possibilities there. So live migration, no. Live storage migration, yes. Correct. Okay, that's fair. But that's just a feature that's in server that's not in the client. Is there stuff in client that's not in server? There is. Um, uh, Built-in wireless support. Thank you. Appreciate that. Not something I really need on my server, but really need on my clients. 
I hope you don't need it on your server. <laughs> Run a wire. What were you that's thinking? A, that's a data center I don't want to work in because I don't want lumps popping out of my skull. Yes. <laughs> um, and we also have support for sleep states. So oh, when yeah. when I close that lid on my laptop, my laptop will go to sleep. You're talking about hot laptops. There you go. Yeah, so... Well, and I also I found that yeah, whenever you do that, it just never recovers either. You basically have to go and shut each of those VMs down, shut the host environment down, bring it all back up again. Yeah, it, and it, was, it was just painful. Um, it was it was difficult to live with running server on your laptop, and you had to be very careful about how you did everything. Now, when you just run it on your laptop, it's just it's smooth. Um, it's really nice. There's a few other things missing from the client version as well, so we can't build clusters with Windows 8. Yeah, that's fair. Um, we don't, although we do get remote FX for USB redirection, we don't get it for graphics acceleration. Okay. We don't get fiber channel support. I hope you don't want fiber channel HPA support <laughs> in your. Have you got LUNs in your workstations again? What are you doing? <laughs> And we don't have support for single root I.O. virtualization. But again, if you have those sort of NICs and motherboards yeah. in your laptop or your PC, you're doing something very, very strange. Yeah, that's very odd that you have a that you have a, a client operating system on that hardware at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's not, um, that's not what it's for. Yeah, this is very much towards the end user, the developer, the administrator, yeah. the security officer, the consultant. Yeah, all specialties, really. I don't see the, I, I, I could see, you know, certain classes of users that are running some older apps, probably senior folks. They're now being able to move that old XP instance into a VHD and light it up occasionally for the app they just can't seem to get rid of. I could see that. Certainly security folks, all of these specialties where they need isolated environments. Easy. This totally makes sense. Another use case for using disk to VHD? Capture that XP machine you're still using. Yep. Turn it into a VHD. Rebuild your machine, keeping your VHD nice and safe. Yeah. Just pop in a new hard disk. Put Windows 8 on there. Drop the v uh, Windows XP VHD into a virtual machine, and away you go. Yeah. Still, still there. Yeah. Still running. Executives who you're scared of might be a way of uh, giving them a new machine and still giving them their old work environment. Right. That don't want to change anything. Don't touch it. I know how to use it. Never going to change yeah. it. <laughs> right up until the hardware fails and there's no way to get it back. Yeah. And that's, because you know, the, I remember this campaign a number of years ago when we when virtualization really started to work where you were hunting down all those ancient servers that people were terrified of and just turning them into virtual machines so they could run in modern hardware. And we oh, we're still worry. doing that. Yeah. Still <laughs> finding day, them. We're still doing that. <laughs> <laughs> still finding these vintage environments. But yeah, I, I love not being dependent on the hardware anymore. It just runs where I need it to run. Yeah, I'm still getting um, questions from people asking about NT4 support in Hyper-V. <sighs> really? Yeah. NT it's unfortunate. And you know, NT4 in its day was unbelievable. It was so rugged and reliable. But boy, oh boy, you know, it's tough to justify Windows 2000 boxes anywhere anymore. Yeah, it's what, eight years since it was supported? Yeah. Yeah, Dave, you were, you were definitely in an unsupported configuration. And you, and you can, it's just not supported in, in virtualization, right? But, no, but you can run it. Yeah. And um, so there is, 
it's the feature that enables it to run in Hyper-V is actually hidden behind PowerShell now. It used to be in the GUI. Right. Um, but there is a way to turn on um, CPU compatibility for legacy operating systems through PowerShell. Wow. And so if you still have those NT4 physical servers and you haven't been able to find replacement hardware for those for probably six or seven years. Yeah, which means what you're running on is really decrepit. Yeah. You can run it as a limited virtual machine, which is probably still more powerful than the oh, yeah. single or dual core Xeon that it's running on at the moment. You, yeah, run the, compared with the hardware you were running, those P3 you know, dual socket machines compared to what we're running today, even through the virtualization limit, it'll be way faster. Oh, yeah. Even with its single virtual processor and, you know, legacy or non-synthetic drivers. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Funny how far we've come as far as that concerned. Yep. Well, Aiden, I really appreciate you talking to us about this. I did not, this feels very familiar to me. Stuff I used to do with virtualization with virtual PC way back when and, and, and VM workstation. And now it's back. Yeah. And it's a reboot away and it's built into the business operating system that you're probably using. Nice. Or should be. Absolutely. So it's worth, worth checking out. Win 8 Pro and Win 8 uh, Enterprise. Aiden, thanks so much for coming on the show. No problem at all, Richard. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. Mm-hmm.